Oops. Bruchem Abayim Hashem Hashem Erachnuchem Vezisham Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Might be a bridge version, slightly a bridge version. To two tardiness of the day. Okay. Um, Pashish, this week's Shabbos, Pashish Shmais. Varchim Achedish, Chedish Vat. Like the Venture Chedish Vat this week. More importantly, this week we have also Friday Chavdala Tevis. The Yarta of the Alta Rebbe. This year, as every week, Leon Nishmas, Arav Chosas of Shalom, Rebbe Yeshua, and Gabriel Yemelech, Leon Shalom, Mimad Lachaim, Yamin Yayetz, Shlita, Shikha. We start a new parasha. We start a new era. We start a new Chumash. We finish Bereshis. Yosef is buried in Mitzrayim. find now that all his brothers entire generation barring Serach have passed away leaving now a new Mitzrayim a new Mitzrayim a new Mitzrayim which also meant a new episode for the Jewish nation In the realm of Nu, by Yakam, Melachodos Amitraim, a new king. Although, in American history, there's a lot of short lived things. American history, the years of our President Donald Trump will go down by some, the most magnificent, as he made America great again, etc., depending, of course, how bad President Kamala Harris destroys the country. Um, Ronald Reagan remembered President George Bush the Clinton scandals <laughs> Watergate for the older generation carry a brick stick 
for the even older generation. Then you have George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. A lot of the presidents in between basically, I mean, unless you're a real history buff, basically insignificant. Johnson, oh, excuse me, Kennedy. Although his presidency was pretty cut short. The era of Yosef Mitzrayim, by the way, none of what I said before was anything of my political views. I don't have political views. I was only saying it just to give you an example of your mind's eye depicting what history and how history works. But in essence, Egypt flourished. Why? Because Yosef translated Paris' dreams. There'll be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And it didn't and Iota didn't deviate from what Yasef's translation. Even more so, Yasef simply was given the keys by Pare, and he ran the country. He ran the country. He got everybody to pay the beginning of the seven years of famine for their food because only Yasef's storage houses were ample everybody else's went, went awry and then when they ran out of money he took the possessions ran out of possessions he took them He set up the first major dictatorship. Every Egyptian belonged to Pari. It wasn't his. It was Pari's. He glorified Pari's name. To an umpteenth level. No matter what Pari would have, could have done, he could never have gotten to achieve himself to be such a level. And here, a few short years later, Melach Chodosh Amitzrayim, a new king, Ashleyodas Yosef, did not know Yosef. My body. To know. To know who a person is. To know who, how a person, 
has influence. Not only in the surroundings, not only his generation, the future. And the famous story of the Alter Rebbe, the honor of Chavdal Tevis, of the two tailors, went out to earn money so they could have what their family needs. They didn't just go out for one day, for a week. They went out for extensive travel, an extensive amount of time. And Garnished. They went out and things got harder to be eaten. Arikas Amaiser, we're not going to take the whole story now. They got to a point they pretty much gave up the Yiddish guy. They've given up the Yiddish guy. And on the way back home, they came to a city called Hadich. I believe it was Hadich. Or Piena. And came to an inn. And in the inn, the innkeeper saw them, they were Jews. But he noticed a little twist over here in their Judaism. So he says to them, so they said to him, do you have food? He said, yeah, but it's not kosher. We don't care. You don't care. No. Whatever you have, it's fine. Aren't you Jews? We're fine, don't worry about it. Anyway, he said, okay, no problem. He went out, and the two people here, two tailors here, the door being locked behind them. The door being locked behind them is oh now we're inside us. And the hidden inky is saying, Ah, we got some more clients here now. Since our inn is so far away from the off the beaten path. We get these rich clients to coming by, passing by the business people. We kill them and we take their money. Thank God. They say, thank God. So here we have two new clients. We'll wait till they're sleeping, we'll kill them, and we'll take their money. These two didn't got a tremendous pachat. 
Where did we fall into? What's going to become of us? And they realized this is over. They worked and earned all this money for not for not. God's going to kill them. They'll never get home to their family. And the spirit started to set in. And they realized they better start doing Shua. So, they found the Talos and Tvil. They put them on. And they started to daven like they never daven before. And they said, Vidui. They said their confessions. They said their last prayers. They said everything. It's over. They realized it's over. There's no way they can fight this person off. Who knows what he has out there. After a few hours of literally soaking the floor with their tears, and you could hear from around wherever you were, their tefillahs, they're praying, they're crying, what did we do? We were so awful with these terrible things. We're doing tshuva at least the last minute before we die. We should die as Yidin. Suddenly the door opens up. Innkeeper comes in. There's two sons, burly sons, carrying trays of hot smelling delicious food. And they said, oh, I guess he's coming to bring us our last meals. How horrible. And he says to them, you can eat. This is kosher. They're looking at him. He's so pleasant and smiling and talking. It's the same guy that just said he's going to kill them a few hours ago. And they finally, out of trepidation, fear, not knowing what to do or not to do, they didn't want to insult him. He says it's kosher. Although they did shuvah now, they wouldn't eat anything that's not 100%. But he says it's kosher, it's kosher. And they sat down and they ate. And as he's sitting with them, he tells them, I have to tell you a story. Many years ago, I had a person in my inn. I don't know what a holy Jew is and not a holy Jew. I don't understand holiness. I barely understand what a Jew is. He spent time in my inn. He was very, very deathly sick. Before he passed away, it's obvious this is in Piena. Before he passed away, he asked me to make him a promise. I should promise him down the line in a few years, two Jews will come here and they will have totally forsaken Yiddishkeit. They'll be ready to eat anything. I want you to put the fear of God into them so that they repent. And up until you people showed up here, I forgot this promise. I forgot to even said this. 
And now that you're here, if you want, I would tell you to, I'd recommend you go to Hadich. That's the burial place of this man. And go thank him for saving your spiritual lives. Stories of the Alter Rebbe don't lack. One hour shir, a five hour shir would still keep going over and over with different stories of the Alter Rebbe. I find this a poignant story. Showing us the reach of a tzaddik. How he knew that in this inn would come these yidden. And how he had planned it out to save these yidden. This was, and still is, the life mission of the Alter Rebbe. And this is therefore, by sitting and learning Tadus of the Alter Rebbe, Tanya is my modem, go to Tera, We connect ourselves to him, and therefore on his yard site this weekend, Chavdal Tevis, it's that important for each and every one of us to see to it that we connect ourselves to the Alter Rebbe and B'schuzah the Alter Rebbe will not remain a Balchayv and the Alter Rebbe will see to it that we all paid back plentiful Parai calls in calls a, a decree. He hears that the savior of the Jews will have a downfall through water, will die through water. And therefore says, states a decree Kalabain every boy that's born should be thrown into the water and any girl should be given life the Chayum then we hear that they did not listen to the decree the midwives not only didn't listen to the decree but Chayenas Hayaladim they gave life to the children. They didn't listen to the decree. It means they didn't kill the children. They didn't kill the children. We know they gave the, they gave the children life. Why tell us? Why repeat that Chayenes Hayladim? If you go to maternity wards, unfortunately, not every child. From the most natural childbirths to emergency C sections, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, not every child has a hundred percent survival rate. 
You don't see the maternity ward 100% survival rate. And the midwives knew that. They knew that sometimes a child doesn't make it. And they were very worried that if that should ever happen, it shouldn't even be dreamt or thought of machshava of a machshava, thought of a thought of a thought that Rahman al they listened to Pare and they killed this child. Someone should think that, oh, they took a token child to show Pare, look, I'm killing one child. Look, you see, I killed the children. So therefore, the midwives daven special, extra, that all the children they deliver should all remain alive. They gave life to the children, even ones that did not have years. They were not supposed to survive. They were supposed to be born, but not live. Even those they davened for and they saw to it, they made they gave them life. As we know, but by Parai saying, that the girls you should let live, you should make live, he did not mean to get them to live and they should be nice Jewish children. His intention was they should live like nice Egyptian children. The boys should be killed physically and the girls spiritually. And this is therefore the life, the livelihood of a Jew. Is Tata, the Tata Semis. Without it, we're like a fish without water. We'll go back and forth a little bit in the Pasha. Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Moshe Rabbeinu grows up. When they hear that Moshe had a special chush as an infant, had interesting talents and then one day sitting on his quote unquote grandfather's lap Pari he took Pari's crown and put it on his head on his own head ah he warned right away he's trying to take away your kingship So immediately a debate arose. 
let's see. Let's see if it's the glittery thing that he understands, or is actually something that anything to substantiate what you're saying. What they do? A pair of hot coals, a plate of shiny diamonds. And they place it in front of Moshe. In front of baby Moshe. To see what he would reach for. Baby Moshe was no fool. Started reaching for the diamonds. Madras tells us, Malach came, pushed his hands away, and he went for the coals. He burnt his hand so bad he put it in his mouth. He burnt his tongue. And this for that, he developed a speech impediment. Moshe comes a scenario why he had to leave Egypt. We'll see if we can go back to it. We'll go back to it in a moment. Let's go straight, in other words. Let's not go back. Go forward. He was in Pari's household, living in the palace, and came out. And he saw Egyptian, an Egyptian beating a Jew. Immediately he pronounced one of Hashem's names. The Egyptian dies. Gets consumed by the earth. So nobody should see what happened. The next day, Pazik tells us, Second day, or the next day he went out. Behold, two Jews. Needs them a fighting, the quarreling. Vaisha calls out, Calls out to the wicked one, Why did you hit your friend? Now, truth to be told, as she explains, he wasn't even hitting him. He lifted his hand. Which teaches us, even raising your hand to a fellow Jew, considered wicked. Considered Russia. Ultimately, they answer him, they're going to kill us like he killed the Egyptian. This is what he heard. He said, oh no, someone knows that story. And he got to Pari. And Maisha had to become a fugitive.
Why are you going to hit him? He didn't do it yet. It is referred to as Russia. We can keep him scored home the Gemara Sanhedrin. Nun Chesam at Beis. 58 side 2. Side B. The Ramam Paskins, you're not, we just said, you're not allowed to raise your hand to a colleague. Whoever raises a hand, even without hitting him, is considered a Russia. So you have second Ramam also. Not just the Gemara. One understanding of the Rambam's ruling is raising your hand to hit somebody. It's prohibited not only to prevent you from hitting somebody, negative character traits. It shows what kind of terrible person you are. Every aspect of a human's life is there in order to enable man to serve God. Every limb, each and every limb of the person's body, in its own unique way, contributes to service of Hashem. The hand, Specifically, it's for giving to benefit others. So, if you raise your hand in a way of strife, it's forbidden, and that's considered wicked. Even if you don't actually hit someone, for the motion of raising the hand in anger and strife defies the whole hand's mission that God ordained it to do. The hand. The famous hymn composed by Shleim HaMelech which all households sing before Kiddush Friday night Eishis Chayel Miyinsa The Woman of Valor in his hymn We have different descriptions of how the woman of valor proves herself. The hand mentioned twice. Kappa Porso Leoni 
ויודר שלחל אביין, her hand, kappa, her hand, spreads out for the poor person, ויודר her hand, שלחל אביין, sends to the poor person. The Beit Salevi was once walking in the cemetery in Brisk. And he saw two Matsevis next to each other. And one read, there were men, one read Kappa Parasalyani, and the other read, Biyadeh Shechalevye. The Beit Salevi is no fool, so he assumes there must be a story behind this. He checked Chevrolet Kadisha in the ledgers, and this is what he discovered. These are two very wealthy people. They live in Brisk. They would help the poor with an open hand. Ah, you ready to jump to the conclusion that's Kappa's No, 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 no. Take it easy. Unfortunately, one day, business plummeted and they lost everything. So much so, that they themselves were struggling financially. They were such an integral part of the community that Bezden convened to delve into, to discover what could they have possibly done to deserve this punishment. People were perfect. They did no wrong. Nothing that warranted such a loss. The only explanation they came up with, perhaps, is Chazal say that person wants to be very generous, they give Maiser, they want to be very, very generous, fine, but they should not give away more than a fifth, Chemish. If you do, and these people gave away more than a fifth of their money. And Bezin said, you know, that must be the reason. If you agree to stop giving so much, to give it to Dr. but not give over more than a fifth, we are sure and confident your riches will come back. So the two men accepted in Bezin the decree. It's hard for them. Poor person that was struggling came to them, their hearts would break. They wished they could give more, but they couldn't. Finally, they found a solution. They're not allowed to give money. Can't give too much money. 
But what about my assets? I'm not saying anything about assets. Why can't I give away assets? So they began distributing to the poor the assets that they owned, their house, their furniture, their this, their that. They were pretty good. Eventually that depleted as well. And one day, two poor people showed up at the door. Tzedakah-wise, money-wise, they gave everything they could. And they had nothing. And they found, though, as they dug, they found a golden spoon. Found a golden spoon. But there's two people here. So they cracked the golden spoon in half and the spoon part that we eat from they gave to one poor man and the other half, the stick, they gave to the other poor man. It was substantial, it was a substantial piece of gold. So selling it helped them, put them on their feet. A spoon is called a kaf. The spoon part of the, the round part is called kappa. The handle of the spoon is called yodel. When the people saw how desperate these men were to give tzedakah, they davened that these people would get back to all their riches. And they did. When they were nifted though, the one that gave the round part of the spoon had on his matzeva kappa porsa the oni the kaf he gave to the poor and the other one who gave the handle v'yadeho shilcha le'evian therefore yadeho the hand of the person is extremely, extremely important. And thereby, we need to see to it that when the hand is used, it's used for only the right things. Well, these people told Moshe, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And Moshe, as we said before, was frightened. Has it become known? Has this become common knowledge? What has happened? That being the case, Moshe should be in a lot of trouble now. This is where we see how Lashon Hara plays a role. A very wicked role. A very dangerous role. Geulus Mitzrayim. The redemption of Egypt marks the birth of the Jewish people. When we were chosen to become Atta Vakhartonim Mikolamim.
obviously, Imitzayim being stooped into the lowest of low, as far as idol worshipping, etc., it wasn't their virtues and mer- or merits. Rather, how do they get, how do they reach this status, how do they attain such a status of being a Baruch Hu, this nation? Because Hashem chose it. In contrast, as we say, with a decision actually based on some kind of qualities or an object of some sort, this is pure choice. Not measuring equal merits, etc. This is why it was possible for B'nai Yisrael in Mitzrayim to be chosen by God, and therefore redeemed, despite the lowly state spiritually. However, when Moshe discovers that there were people talking Lashon Hara as well, Lashon Hara, Moshe said, now we're in trouble. Now we're in trouble. All the Vedizara and everything else that's going on, terrible. It's terrible. Lashon Hara is being spoken. You're going to ruin it. It's going to destroy it for everything. We're just not going to get, we're not going to be redeemed. Why was Meisha so scared of Lashon Hara? Why that worse than any other Aveda? So much so that the Eden would not deserve to be chosen as a nation and redeemed. Lashon Hara is very unique. Among all of the sins, it's unique simply in its decisiveness. Sorry, divisiveness. Not only does it cause tension between people, by discussing the deficiencies of another person, you are displaying and demonstrating a lack of empathy towards that person. Even if you don't want to actually cause them harm, the mere fact that you're talking about them, snickering about them, or even when someone says something, you go, ah or something to that effect, showing that you know. So therefore we understand why Moshe was so scared when he heard about people talking Lashon Hara. Because he, although HaKadosh Baruch chose the Eden, not contingent on any virtue, on any merit that they had, just for the mere fact that they were a nation, they were a unit and not a group of isolated individuals. However, Lashon Hara, which causes divisiveness, which causes causes division between people, which destroys the cohesiveness 
between a nation and their identity as a unit. This Chassashon ruined the chance of them becoming a chosen nation. Although they didn't necessarily require any other schusim to qualify for God choosing them as His nation, only through the unity could the Israel constitute a nation that God could choose as His own. Whereas Lashon Hara spoken causes divisiveness to such a level that there is no longer unity and thereby can cause to destroy the entire redemption. Thirty days before a Yom Tif, we prepare for the Yom Tif. As of a sort of we started to prepare for Yudshvat. And the integral part of preparing for Yudshvat is learning the Maimah Basya, the Gani, the last Rebbe, the last Maimah of Shri Rebbe. And the first of the Rebbe's. In this expansion, based a lot on this Maimah, is based on. Ve'omruli ma'ashmei ma'amralehim. They're going to ask me, what is the name of this God that's taking us out? What do I tell them? And the first of all, ask, Moshe did not know, out of all the people, Moshe did not know God's name all of a sudden. It's such a simple question he has to ask. And it's explained many different ways. The question of the Jews, Mashmai, is not a regular simple question. That they don't know God's name. They want to know what it is. It was a question and a shock and a shock, a doubt. They knew Akadj Baruch's names always reflected on different times, eras, and things that were going on. The Shabbat says, and it's brought down in the Maimah many times, according to what I'm doing, that's what I'm called. And this is therefore what Mesha says before Tachaj Baruchu. When the Yidin are going to come, well, come, sorry, when I get to the Jews, and I will tell them what Tachaj Baruchu says, says, Ani Ami, Shemaiti, I heard the cry, cries, the screaming, the torture. I will go down, I will go down to help them, to save them. The Jews said in shock, Mashmai, what's his name? What's the name? In what form? Does someone put his children to suffer so severely the servitude of Egypt? for so many years and now only he all of a sudden remembers to take us out and this HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers Eya Asher Eya the Lashen of Rashi Eya Imam B'Tzara I'm with them B'Tzara Zeis Asher Eya which is going to be Imam B'Shibud Shar Malchis 
and I'll be with all the other Goliaths as well. As the Pasuk in Yeshaya says, which means to say the time of Golis. Kosh Baruch Hu is not deserting the Jewish nation. He too is tortured, and he too finds himself in the tortures of our exile, of our Golis. And therefore, the Tzchus of Chavdal Tevis, the of the preparations that we're doing for the Yishvat, in the schus of the unity which Yidin will, will now form as they understand how dangerous how detrimental the talking of Lashon Hara is and as in the schus of Yidin stopping to talk Lashon Hara about fellow Jews just that schus will be enough for us to be Zecha to Geula Amitiz Vashleim Ha'idei Mashiach Tzidkenu and this Shabbos Shabbos Tzavarach M'chedesh Shvat Shvat We find ourselves in Yerushalayim in HaKedesh and Beis Hamidash HaShlishi Mashiach Tzidkenu Shabbos to all